Welcome to River's Edge Church Podcast. Each week we strive to bring you biblically accurate, exegetical preaching of God's Word so that you might belong, believe, and become like Christ. We hope that you will find this week's message beneficial in your walk with Christ. So as we get ready for today, we're going to be in a couple different places, but the first place that we're going to start with and the place where we're going to get our primary passage today is going to be in Luke 15. It's going to be in verses um, 8 through 10. Just a small little excerpt today from there. But we got several places we'll go, and I'll try to guide you there best we can. Um, for those who were here last week, um, you were familiar with what we talked about. But for those who weren't, last week we spent some time laying out the vision for 2024 uh, for River's Edge Church. And it's a really important when we do vision. I, you know, as a, as I had spent years as a coach, and one of the things that we found that, you know, across the board is uh, it's awful hard to get somewhere if you don't know where you're supposed to be going. You know, a lot of people, um, <laughs> my dad used this phrase, and I don't know where he got it from, but I'm, I've heard it in a couple different places, is you, what you don't want to be in life is a washing machine, which is that means you're, you're moving a lot, you're doing a lot of things, but you're not going anywhere, you're just kind of sitting there. Uh, and, and we don't want to be like that. We, we don't want to be a boat without a rudder. We want to know where we're going uh, in order to accomplish the things we feel like God has given us to accomplish. And so we spent last week really talking about kind of the three major aspects that I was hoping that I believe God is calling us to this year, um, to go, to grow, and to give. And our far- focus on the next three weeks are going to be each one of these. And this week specifically, we're going to be looking at going. And um, as a church planner and as a, um, uh, I guess at times, I guess I am still a missionary, I don't mean this in a way, but as a uh, failed or uh, undeveloped missionary for international purposes, um, I have lots of passages we could have gone to. I really did. But this was one that fell on my heart because there's a lot of things that people do, there's a lot of things that we can, you know, that people talk about, but the real thing is our heart. At the end of the day, that has to change. No matter what thing we talk about doing, no matter what pursuit we have, if our heart doesn't change, if our, if our attitude doesn't bend to the Lord, we will never accomplish the things he's called to. We can know something's good and still not want to do it. The question is, is, is are we willing to submit ourselves and let God break our hearts? Um, so I'm going to have my brother Mark come down. He's going to read our passage for us today, and we're going to explore what it means um, to go. Sit all the way up. <laughs> or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors to gather, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Word of God. Thank you, brother. So... Um, I don't know if you guys do this, but in our household, my wife has got me onto this, is do you pick a word for the year? Like, do some people do that in here? And if you don't, so here's the concept. Like, every year you should have, like, a word or, like, a little short phrase. It's like your mantra, right? And I've done a couple in the past, um, you know, and, and uh, I think this year I'm not going to tell her. I'm going to have her tell hers to you whenever she's here. I don't want to ruin hers. You can't steal her thunder. Um, for mine this year, weirdly enough, is rest. And it's not what you think it is. 
Because um, I know a lot of people are like, oh, like maybe you work too hard. I, I've, I've talked to several of you. I don't like when people say I work too hard. Like, I, just, I don't like it. Like, I work as hard as the Lord has given me the ability to work, you know? Um, but I do recognize I have to daily set aside time to rest in God. This isn't a need from physical reprieve. This is a spiritual reprieve. I have to do it, and it's a daily thing, and I'm not good about it daily. Like, like I, I, I get that it needs to be done, but like I just get so ramped up, and like I think about the checklist and all the things I want to get done that day, and uh, I'm having to teach myself and grow in that way. Like, hey, you got to stop and rest in God before you do the rest of this stuff, because you're not going to have anything left. And so, um, as I was thinking about the church this year and about our things, I was like, man, what could be our word this year? And it's a weird word, okay, guys, so hang with me, but the word this year is going to be desperate. I know, many of you, I have a connotation about desperate too, but I want to start with a story that I think will help you understand. So, um, many moons ago, the youngest of my crew, Benjamin, um, his mom left us home alone, just me and him, um, and, and she left me in charge, okay? And... <laughs> At the time, our house was fully baby-proof. Benjamin was like two years old. He wasn't even quite two. And our house was fully baby-proofed. And I know if some of you have done this, like we had latches on the drawers. And every doorknob had like a little slippery thing that you couldn't, you had to use like your thumb and your middle finger to open it up. Like it was, we had baby-proofed the house really well. And so uh, I felt confident that, hey, I can turn my back two minutes. And there's a minimal amount of damage he can do in two minutes if I'm just around the corner. And I was like, but I got to move the laundry over. Because if you've had children, you know, for some reason, for every child is like 19 loads of laundry a week now. And we have three, so it's just, the, the, our washing machine never stops. Like, if you come into our house and don't hear a washing machine going, something's wrong, okay? So I go and just something simple, three, four minutes, move the laundry over. And uh, as I'm leaving the laundry room, I immediately am instinctively going, it's awful quiet in here. <laughs> that is never a good sign in my house. Nothing is ever quiet. That's concerning. Um, so I said, well, I, he's figured out something. Let me go around. So I checked the bathroom, not in there. Go in the pantry, because clearly if he's not in the bathroom, he's definitely in the pantry. Uh, not in there. Um, uh, I, I checked downstairs. Can't find him. I'm like, oh, maybe he figured out how to open the gate and go upstairs. Not a new thing. So go upstairs, checking all the rooms. Five minutes in, start getting that, uh, that feeling, because, you know, now I'm like, something's going on. Heart race is going a little bit, you know. Blood pressure's starting to rise a hair. And I'm, my mind's racing like, where could this kid be? So I begin to just really tear through this house. I'm searching under the beds and every closet. Like, any place, I'm like, what can this little body hide? And mind you, he's not terribly quiet. So, like, surely I'll hear him. After about 10 minutes now, I am assured of only two things. The first of these is Aaron is certainly going to murder me. Like this is, I am, there, there's going to be a police report following this event. And two, he cannot be in the house because I have looked everywhere. I have torn up everything for trying to find this kid. He is not in the house. So I go outside and I'm contemplating this thing. Which one should I do first? Should I call the police or should I call the funeral home? Um, to make sure that there's arrangements made for when my wife murders me. Um, because this is, I don't know what to do, and I'm, I'm panicking. Because I'm like, how did I lose a two-year-old? Like, this is, <laughs> in my own house, no less. How did I lose this kid? 
And as I'm standing outside, I'm on our front lawn, and I'm, I'm literally having those pleading conversations that you can have with the Lord. You know what I mean? Those like, I will do anything. Like, I ain't missing church service ever again. Uh, you know, just, I'll read my Bible every day. Like, I, I am in the midst of this torment feeling that I have screwed up. And then I hear something. A giggle. And I know exactly what that giggle is. I'm very confused why I'm hearing a giggle out there, but I hear it. And it's a sweet sound. And never have I been so conflicted in my entire life. Never have I felt thrilled, furious, <laughs> angry, confused, all in the same thing. And so I follow this giggle. And as I'm getting closer, I hear a second sound, a pulsating sound. Uh, so I cross the street. I go between two neighbors' houses. And giggling in a, pair, in a diaper, a pair of Crocs, and a T-shirt is Benjamin jumping up and down on our new neighbor's trampoline. Somehow, he found out that one of our neighbors who had just moved in had also installed a trampoline recently. I didn't know either of these things. I didn't know that we had a new neighbor, and I didn't know that we had a trampoline next door. And I, and I learned <laughs> some things that day. One, um, baby-proofing restraints are no longer going to be appropriate for our kid. They're just meaningless. He has figured them out. Um, two, that our neighbors had also bought a trampoline. Um, and I kept wondering, like, how long did he plan this? Like, had he known, or is it just like pure random luck for Benjamin? Uh, I'm not sure, but I, I know this. I'm sharing this story to make this very simple point. There is nothing more desperate than a parent who has lost a child. There is nothing more desperate than that. And that same feeling is magnified by our Heavenly Father and the way he looks at each and every person on this planet. Like that, that is something that's hard for us to grasp. The way that God loves us is a pure love. It's not contingent. It doesn't wane. It doesn't, it doesn't flux. And he loves all of his creation. Even if, they aren't, even if they don't submit themselves, he loves them. We know this. We know this because of verses like John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. There's no contingency there. It wasn't like, well, these people he loved, not so much these people. He's like, no, I love the whole world, and everyone can come to me. Everybody can come. God is desperately seeking his children. And if we are to call him father, if we honestly say we follow Christ and, and God is our heavenly father, then our hearts have to be just as desperate as his. Our hearts have to have that same desperation that our Heavenly Father has to find His children. God is calling us to live desperate. That is what I mean by our word this year. It changes some things when you start thinking of it that way, doesn't it? It's a lot less like, man, I got to do this to be a good person. It's a lot less like, man, I need to do this because this is the right thing. It's more of, man, I need to do this because my Father is absolutely terrified. My Father is absolutely desperate. He, there's nothing He wants more than for the whole earth to know His name to praise him, to be with him. 
What's great is our passage today talks about this, and, it's, and it's, it just tells us these little snippets. And if so, I've heard this, I've preached on this passage multiple times. One of my favorite passages to preach on because they're so dense, so much in here. And just this week, I was like, oh, here's some new stuff. That's what I love about God's Word. And I want to point out a couple of things for you. Um, a couple of things that this woman does that is just desperate and needs to remind us of some things. One, she lights a lamp. Now, wow, that's, that doesn't seem like a big deal. I turn on lamps all the time. Here's the thing, um, what God's really saying is no resource is too valuable and no cost is too great. Oil was precious. You know how hard it is to press out oil from an olive? <laughs> like, if, you, if you've seen an olive, they, pr- they crush it and it gives them a tiny little bit of oil and they got to do this all the time. Oil was expensive and it was valuable. It was what you valued, like, you know, you, you couldn't just waste it. You wouldn't just flippantly do it. You didn't have light at night if you didn't have the oil. And oftentimes you would rather just be in the dark because it was so expensive and you needed it for like really big emergencies, like apparently losing a coin. But God desires us to seek desperately in such a way that we withhold no resources so that we might make a way for the lost. That's a weird thing for people to grab hold of. Certainly not what we traditionally think of in the church. That we, we would withhold no resources. There would be nothing too costly, whether it be financial, whether it be our time. The second thing she does is she sweeps the house. This is important because what we don't want to miss here is we have to go to work. We have to be willing to do the work. We can talk about going all the time. I promise you, I can't tell you how many churches I've walked into knowing these people are not involved in missions, knowing that these people don't do outreach. But Lord willing, they'll have Matthew you know, 28 up on the wall. Or they'll have Acts 1-8 on the wall. And they'll talk a good game. They'll be like, man, we got to go to missions. Every church claims this. Every church claims that they want to be a mission-oriented church. The bylaws have it in there. Their mission states have it in there. They talk about it at the beginning of the year. But are we willing to do the grunt work? Everybody can talk about it. Talking is free. Are you willing to go and work and do the things that that God's asking you to do to reach lost people? Or are we just content to pay someone else to do it? Third thing she does is she searches carefully. And I love this. I went to a deep dive in the Hebrew and came back out of it, and basically it just means the same thing, very carefully. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, that's helpful. But she searches carefully, and this is what this means. It means to seek intentionally. It's one of my favorite words. We talked about it last week, intentionally. Don't just do stuff to do stuff. And that means that we go about seeking God, the, the lost in the way that God intended. And this is, this is key. I, I don't want us to miss this. The first is that we have to be prayerful. We are to pray for our hearts to be broken. I'm going to tell you right now, it is awful hard to seek lost people until God breaks your heart about them. It's awful hard to care about, because this world, it it does not acclimate itself to being cared for. This this world is a hard place to live in. And I can tell you right now, I know a lot of people who have been hurt, who have been turned off, who have been frustrated by the world, and they just, they've tuned out. And they have forgotten that as awful as it is out there, that God's love can change anything. But his desire is to reach 
lost people, not because he's prideful, not because of anything. He has a desire to see all people know who he is. He understands it, and he is desperate for it, and he wants to break our heart of this. We're to pray that the Spirit moves before us. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how talented we are. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible we know. If God's Spirit isn't with us, we are worthless. Just know that. The great thing is, is Jesus has promised us that the Spirit will be with us. But we have to invite him in. We've, we've got to invite him into our work. We're to pray that God would guide us. I'm not going to tell you how many times I made a plan, and I'm pretty sure God was just oh, chuckling away. I was like, man, I'm going to go do this. <laughs> Five years later, I'm looking back like, how did I end up here? This is not what I imagined. We have to be willing to let God guide us. And then lastly, we have to provide that God would pray for us, or God would provide for us. Too often, we make things very logical. It's a wrestle I have. I know, I'm short-sighted. I've got a little weak spot there. I like logic. And it is hard for me to come and find a, a place where I can bring those two and marry logic and faith together. Because sometimes you've got to do some illogical stuff. Sometimes you've got to jump off the cliff. You've got to step in the water and go, man, God, I hope you part this thing. That's what faith is. That is what God is calling us to. And the caveat to that, that last piece, is we have to be, we have to do these things by faith. Okay? We have to be intentionally seeking people through prayer, and then we have to move through faith. Um, we have to expect God's going to do something. And I think this is the part where the 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 maybe the Western church is missing this. We've kind of sedated what God is. We, we've kind of we've kind of cleaned them up. God only works in these parameters. Right? We only understand this part about God, so we're just going to say this is what he does. I'm going to tell you right now, I read Acts, I read the New Testament, and I'm like, man, I don't know anything God can't do. Because I watch him, he's pulling demons out of people, he's healing people, uh, regular people are healing people. I don't know. I know this. If I trust that God loves me the way that he says he loves me, and I trust that his word is true, then I have to have faith that when God says, I'm going to do something, he's going to do something. My job is to move in expectation. I have to expect him to do it. So we have to seek with faith that the lost will be found. That's how we, that's how we seek. We seek with an expectation that God is going to find the lost. Now, the last thing we do, we don't want to miss this, is we rejoice. And there's a heart to this rejoicement. Okay, when I found my when I found little Benjamin, I, there was some rejoicement that happened. <laughs> with also a lot of anger and frustration. I was like, I, I didn't know what to do. I was overcome with emotion at that point, right? Um, but what we see with this woman is when she found this, it wasn't like, oh, cool, found it, put it back in the bank, right? She didn't count her money. What she did is she went and gathered all of her friends and celebrated. We cannot focus on the numbers. We can't focus on how big our kingdom's getting. We can't focus on like the, being able to send in a great report so that everybody gives us some applause. That's not why we're doing this. That's not. What we're doing is we're rejoicing in what God is doing. We're rejoicing on what God did, how he found the lost, how he made a way, how he saved them, and what he's going to continue to do that he would use us. It's not a me thing, it's not a you thing, it's not an I thing. It's a God thing. And we cannot lose sight of that because it gets real tempting. I, I promise you, 
Every time I go to a convention thing, every time I get asked about how the church is doing, there's an expectation that I'm going to give some awesome numbers. And people love numbers. And, and, and we talk about numbers. They're not bad. But that's not what we do them for. We don't do it so that the room's full because we want to look good on, on, on the social media. We do it because if the room's full, that means some lost people found Jesus. That's what that means. That means that we have more people who now can be sent out into the harvest to harvest some more people. That's what that means. That's what we get excited about. That's the thing we celebrate. Out of this kind of desperation that we see is what does it look like to go? And I want to do this as biblically as possible. So last, I mentioned this last week in Acts 1-8 is where we're going to be building our strategy. And I, I kind of wanted to break that down for you in, in a distinct way this week, just, just to give you some, some full brevity of what we want to do, what we feel like God has put before us. So, <coughs> excuse me. So as we look at Acts 1-8, I'm pulling it up for you right now. It says this, but by, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. I feel like we've covered the top part of that, and we'll spend many a time working on the Holy Spirit. I'm excited. One of our Bible studies uh, that we're getting ready to do is going to be about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's gifting, the way it moves, how we, how we can understand it. And, and I've spent years trying to wrap my head around it and failing miserably <laughs> just because there's, I'll never wrap my head around it. How awesome is that, that we serve a God that big, that magnificent, that powerful? But we know he's with us. We know he's with us. But if he's with us, that means we got to go somewhere, right? Like, he can't be with us where we're standing. we got to move. So Acts 1-8 breaks it down like this. First and foremost, we're to go. And we're to be a witness. And this doesn't mean, if you're like me, thousands of miles away. All of us are called to be on mission wherever we are. For some people, God has given a certain call to, and they, and they are to go. And that calling is in Africa or India or many of the many places that have not heard the gospel, where the gospel has not taken off yet. But all of us are called to wherever we are. My favorite thing about when we were going through missionary training at the seminary, they said this. They said, if you can't share the gospel here, in your own language, with your own people, what makes you think you can do it in a strange land with a strange language with a strange people? And, and that's kind of what <laughs> we all have to come to terms with. Like, it's easy to think, man, what I want to do is go on a mission trip this year, and I want to go somewhere way over there and talk to those people way over there, and then I want to come home. I'm like, that's a great thing, but why, why do we do that? Like, why are we doing that? Like, let's have some intention. But more importantly, it's like, are we already doing that here? Like, are we missionally doing the same thing we'd be doing there? Are we providing for people? Are we feeding the poor, taking care of the sick, caring for the orphan? Like, we can do that here too. Like, so often, you almost feel like you have to pick a side. You don't. We don't. We don't pick a side. We do both. Jesus commands us to think about the way we share the gospel, and, and, he, and he tells us in Acts 1-8 exactly how he thinks we should be doing this. Like, this is what he's telling us. This is how I want you to do it. First is in Jerusalem, and this means go every day. Every day. Go every day. It's interesting, that word, I, I, I didn't know this, but there's a lot of argument about that whole statement, and the word go there 
can mean multiple things. So it can mean as you go, or it can mean when you go, or, or you know, after you go. Like, it's, just, it's a weird thing because there's no determining, you know, directional thing there. It just says go. But here's the thing. The kind of love that Christ has should pour out of us. Anyways, like it should, it should flow out of us. I want to turn you to Matthew five forty three. Jesus is talking, and, and he's sharing, and and this is part of his discourse um, from the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, "You have heard it that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy." Well, we, okay, that makes sense, right? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I don't like that. So that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends right rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you, <clears throat> and if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that word perfect is a troublesome word that we will not cover today, but I want you to get this first part. Um, we always like the idea of loving our neighbor. Like that idea was like, like that's an entire church slogan, right? Like love your neighbor. But Christ is calling us to something far greater than just loving our neighbor. He says, love your enemy. Love your enemy. Not, not like love the people that kind of aren't fun. Love your enemy. Love those who persecute you. I was reading a pastor, and he talks about the everyday enemies in our lives. And he gave some examples, and I was like, oh, that's gut-wrenching, because I know exactly what he's talking about. Um, here's some of the ones he listed. Our difficult spouse, our rebellious children, our irritating neighbor, annoying coworkers, our gossiping friends, um, our inconsiderate acquaintances. Um, I added one, the guy that kind of gave you the finger on the way of merging into traffic, you know, like that guy. Um, this is the way that God has chosen to bring the gospel into the world. Through a very average, everyday faithfulness of his followers. I know so many of us are like adventurous and, and, and like, man, like, and, and God does. He moves that way. Like, I'm not, just, I'm not, the thing though that's interesting is the way that he moves is through the average parts of us, the weak part of us, the parts that are clearly not up for the job because that's the only thing that would happen there. The only thing that would make a difference would be God. We can't make claim to any of it. And it starts every day. Just loving people that don't want to be, who are hard to love on a daily basis. The second place is Judea. And in this one, God's calling us to go with others. And this is the wild part. But for too long, the Western church idea of church are like these little fiefdoms, these little, these little man-made kingdoms. And uh, each king has all of his subjects, and all the other kingdoms of God are, uh, at best, um, competition, but at worst, opposition, right? Um, and some of us have seen that more surfaced than, you know, that it's not always veiled, is it? But that's not the call that God has for his people. We are collectively... If you read it, collectively, all believers are his bride. We're meant to work together. 
That's why we, this, this, we are meant to, to strive in an effort to, to seek out relationships with other faithful congregations. It's part of why uh, I, you know, I love being part of the SBC, all of its warts, all of its problems. The heart of, that, uh, of the convention is, is, is that one idea of collectively we can do more together. Collectively we can send out the gospel farther. But we can't shut out other denominations from the work at hand. If, if we want to change, see the world changed by the gospel, if we want to see a broken world redeemed, it's going to take the full effort of God's people to make it happen. And we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to, to cross lines. Because I'm going to tell you this, a lot of churches are, are afraid to do that. So we have to make the first move. And we have to trust God and pray for God to do that. To send the Spirit ahead of us so that these churches will begin welcoming us, not as an opposition, not as a competition, but as brothers and sisters whose sole purpose is to reach other people who are lost. Samaria, God's calling us to go to hard places. I don't know if you know this, but he is. So many people want to go to mission places off, you know, in, in pretty places. I got a couple that I thought, this would be a fun missions place, right? Um, and we want to do something tangible. We want to see, do something very neat, instantly gratifying, right? Like, that's the kind of mission stuff that we get excited about a lot of times. It's like, man, I want to go somewhere tropical, pretty. I want a nice, clean, clear-cut plan. I want to know that when I'm done, I have done the mission work. Right? Here's another one. Unfortunately, <laughs> I got bad news for you. Um, that's not God's plan for us. He's not calling us to necessarily any of that. Christ was never afraid to step into the messiness of our lives. Keep that in mind. In the mess that you have made in your life, God, Christ continues to walk, but was there when it was at its worst. We read the prodigal son this morning, and I think about that a lot because I think about like when I was in the pigsty of my life, when, when I had made such a mess of my life, that's when God was there with me. That's where God met me. He didn't meet me when I had it together. I thought he had to meet me when I was together. You know, that's what the whole plan was. No, he was like, no, I'm, I'm in the worst part is where I'm going to meet you. I'm going to meet you in your messiness. And we're called to follow him in that mess. We're, we're called to follow him as we go and seek out those who are living a messy life right now. Ministry is dirty work. And unfortunately, when you go help people with mess, guess what happens to you? You're going to get messy. And you're going to get dirty. And you're going to get covered in mud. Because people are messy. Mission work looks more like this. Walking with the homeless and caring for them. It looks more like this. Helping children in places that are filthy and unkept, that are hard to get to. Places like this that are ravaged and it's dangerous and there's very little hope. But what's wonderful is we serve a God who not only willingly chose to walk in your mess, we serve a God who's calling you to walk in the mess of others. And, and not just that, he's walking with you in it. He is giving you power. He is giving you the ability. He's going to provide for you in that. 
It will require sacrifice. Right? Getting dirty always does. But that is where we're called to. We're not called to the nice, clean-cut, easy-to-go areas. We're called to go to the hard places that no one else wants to go to, the least of these. The last place is the end of the earth. <clears throat> God's calling his people to go to the places that the gospel is not. One of the hardest things that's frustrating for me to realize is that uh, there are a lot of places where the gospel's not. <laughs> there are. But there are some places where the gospel ain't at all. And there's a big difference. You know, there are a lot of people in the America where the gospel's not, right? I think we can all agree. Like, we feel like pretty much the whole state of Portland um, and, 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 or the whole city of Portland and the whole state of Oregon, probably half of Washington. You know, we're definitely certain that there are some places where the gospel's not. But the gospel is there. It's just people don't want it. But there are places on this planet where it's not at all. My favorite quote about missions actually comes from John Piper. And he says, missions exist because worship doesn't. We're called to desperately consider how do we reach those who are lost, who live in nations of darkness, who live in a life where the name of Jesus will never be uttered. I know that's hard for us to fathom. None of us have ever, could possibly know what that looks like or experience that. But there are places where their entire life of somebody can, can happen and the word Jesus will never be heard. Like that combination of syllables won't happen. This call will be different for all people. So just know this, it, it, just like all callings. And it's gonna be different for every church. But it doesn't exclude us for pursuing it. And I think that's important. Like, this isn't something that we have as an option. We're all part of it. Some of us are called to go there. Some of us are called to support those who go there. Some of us are called to pray for people there. Some of us are called to, to go visit and support those. Some of us are called to send resources. Now, there's a multitude of things God may be calling, but all of us are a part of this. We're called to have a heart burden for those who've never heard the good news. And we're called to have a heart that is seeking God's will and guidance in the role that we're to play in this. And most importantly, we're called to be faithful to whatever that calling is. Oftentimes, that's the hardest thing to do. It's real easy to stand here and tell you. It's really easy for us to pray for it. But then there's going to be a time where God's going to be like, all right, I need to pick up your stuff and I need you to go. And not all the planes are going to be clear. Not everything's going to be laid out for you, I promise. Will you be faithful in that moment? As we look at these things today, I want us to take a minute and think about where is this going to leave us as people, as, as a people of God, but also as individuals. And I think this is the most important thing that we do. And I've already mentioned it, but I'm going to mention it again because it's super important because we can often overlook it. We, we often dismiss this part of the ministry. We collectively have to be praying as, as, a, as a community of people, as, as God's people. We have to be praying. We pray together that God would use us as a whole to reach out to his children. And that's important. A lot of times, I grew up this way. I know many people who grew up this way. We individualize our, our faith. We make it so personal, we forget about the collective. 
But if you notice in the Bible, there's, a, there's, there's many a place where it says we're like two of you are gathered, right? I'll be there. There's a reason for that. I can't tell you how many times I've mentioned it here. The first, wrong, the first bad thing in the world, the first thing that was not good was that man was alone. God didn't intend for us to be by ourselves. He didn't intend for this obscene, just overwhelming independence all the time. That's not what we're meant to do. We're supposed to live in community. And we should be praying, how is God going to use us as a church, as a people? We need to pray together that God would break our hearts collectively. Guys, I can be up here all day long and have a passion to go and, and serve. I'm not going to do a whole lot by myself. I need all of us to be broken about the loss. I need all of us to have a heart to go serve, to be on mission, to reach our neighbor. We need to pray that God gives us a sense of desperation collectively. And lastly, we need to pray that God would make a way for the gospel to go out from here. Guys, I'm not, I'm not completely oblivious. I get it. Like, we don't, we don't have our own building, Okay. We don't have thousands of people rolling up in here, okay? But the last time I checked, God changed the world with, um, with a bunch of ragtag little dudes. He had 11 of them. I mean, he had 12, but only one of them really. So at best, he had 12. And with those 12, he reached the whole world, just about, right? The whole known world for certain. Paul felt like he had reached the whole earth. It's not the numbers. God will do the work. Over and over again, we see where God moved, whether it was with the Israelites and their armies, whether it was in the New Testament, with the disciples and the apostles. God can do great things with just a handful of, of faithful people. Are we going to be that people? God's got to make the way. And I'll be honest with you, my experience any way that God makes is far greater than anything I could have ever imagined. There's a whole lot we can do, but we have to pray. And then individually, we have to do some things. The first is we do have to pray individually. We do have to ask God's specific will in our specific life. Each one of us has been given a gift and resources, a background and a passion. God, what's your will? What is he calling you to? Is are you, are you to be praying for somebody? Are you an intercessory prayer person? Are you supposed to be building a relationship, starting a small group, going on a mission trip? Are you supposed to be stepping into ministry? Are you being called into pastoral, pastoral ministry or to be a missionary? So I, I feel like I don't know why churches aren't so eager to tell people, hey, I think you got a gift. I think one day you could be a pastor. I promise you this. I think I know why. Because if someone had told me that 10 years ago, I would have laughed at them. I would have just laughed and laughed. We would have had a good old time. I would have slapped my knee and thought this was the most hilarious thing I'd ever have. But they would have been right. They would have been right. God can do so much in people. We all have so much potential. And he's just waiting for you to go, hey, okay, maybe, I guess, I'll, I'll say yes to that. He's just waiting. What is God's call in your life? The second one is, do you listen? We got to listen. We're sometimes we're really good at like asking for stuff, and then we're like, "All right, well, I guess God's going to do that. I'm going to walk over here and get busy with stuff." Do we sit in God's presence and go, "All right, speak. I'm listening." Do we sit at His feet? 
I'm going to be honest with you, in our society, in our culture, that's, that's, that is a commitment, isn't it? Because we talk about this. Like, what's the most valuable thing any of us own? Time. All day long. So do you value God enough to give him some of your time? Not to because you want to fill his ear, but because you want him to fill yours. You want him to respond. Are you willing to just sit and listen? I'm not coming here to preach at you about that because I have to preach to myself about that too. So I'm with you. Like, I get it. It's hard. It is not an easy task to wait on the Lord to give you some direction. That's part of our faithfulness. That's part of our walk. Lastly, do we respond? Don't blow off God's calling. There are so many points in the Bible we could point to about this. But don't try to ignore it because it's not going away. Don't run from it because it will find you. Don't make excuses. God already knows your flaws. He already knows your weaknesses. Be faithful. Be faithful. Trust that the God who is calling you is the same God who will be with you, the same God that will provide for you, the same God who's pouring out his spirit on you, the same God that will never fail you. I can't leave you with anything else. Take, please take that and understand. If God's calling you something, he's not going to forsake you in the middle of it. Will you have all the answers all the time? Absolutely not. Will some things go wrong? 100%. Okay? If you've ever come to set up on Sunday morning, you can attest to many of these things. But God's calling us to something, something far greater than we can imagine. We live in a society now where I, all the time I talk to men and women who just are so dissatisfied. You know why? Because we're not living out our purpose. Our culture just says, hey, if you sit back and consume and be entertained, you'll find a way to be happy. You'll be comfortable. And that's the one place I don't want to be anymore. I don't know about you guys, but I, I, comfort does not, it, it does not welcome me anymore. I don't care. I'd rather be uncomfortable and happy. I'd rather be uncomfortable and have a purpose. So that's my prayer for you. I'm going to have the worship team up. We're going to sing. Um, but I, I want to encourage you as we pray to begin praying those prayers that we talked about. We're going to pray collectively for our group, but begin pursuing God, asking him, God, what do, you, what do you want me to do? What's your purpose for me? What's your plan? Let's bow our heads. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We want to encourage you to like and follow so that we might reach others with God's good news. You can hear more messages like this at www.theriversedge.church. Have a blessed week.